What is going on folks, Armin Hammer here. Listen up, so I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I have two older brothers, and one of my older brothers, my eldest brother, he's about eight years older than me, his name is Zare, we call him Z, and he and I have these pretty regular long conversations, like at least every week or so, where we talk about just about everything. We, we both were into CrossFit for a long time, he and I actually owned uh, a CrossFit affiliate together for five or six years in LA, we're both into jujitsu. Um, he is an incredibly smart guy and uh, stays on top of a whole lot of different goings on of whatever is happening in sort of modern day world, that sort of thing. And uh, we decided to maybe record one of our phone calls and just see how it goes. So what you're about to listen to is what we are affectionately referring to as from A to Z. Get it? Because uh, my, my name starts with A and we call him Z, you get it. So I hope you guys enjoy. It's a little bit of a longer sort of podcast type thing. If you have any feedback, and I am all ears for feedback on this one because it doesn't really fit into the type of stuff that we usually do on the channel, go ahead and hit me up at Arm and Hammer TV. You can either email me, TV at gmail, or you know Instagram me at TV whatever, however way you want to reach me. Um, I am very much open to hearing some feedback. What did you guys like? What did you dislike? Do you want to hear more? Do you want to never hear it again? And really just curious how you guys enjoy it. Either way, today we talk a whole lot about jujitsu, the UFC, being younger brothers, and uh, that sort of thing, helping athleticism. We talk a little bit about the coronavirus, lots of different stuff going on. Hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you guys next time. Not much. Dude, I have this shiner. This is exciting. I have this shiner on, on my, or not really a shiner, more like this like matte rash on my face. Can you see that? Yeah, I can. I went in for the first what time. What happened? Uh, I, I, I'm trying to get back onto the mats, and I uh, went in a couple days ago, and we were doing, we have like some uh, a Brazilian, a couple of Brazilians in town staying staying around for like uh, I don't know I don't know how long after the Austin Open, and uh, he was running this, he was running like the beginners class, the fundamentals class, and the attacks he was going over were really simple. It was just kind of, you know, we're we're going over attacks from mount, you know, first into like the cross collar choke, and then into uh, like transition to technical. Um, or S mount and then to bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so we were doing like the cross collar chokes. Uh, and then he, he did this thing. He goes to the, the technical mount like transition and he does this drill, you know, where he, he's on top of the guy he's mounted and he's like, okay, so you're going to, you know, and he doesn't speak any English. So it's being translated through like the guy who's the regular coach. And so you're, you're watching and he's like, okay, you're going to, you're going to go ahead and, you know, get in there. You get your, your hand deep in there. Your, uh, your, your partner's going to roll to the, to the correct side. So he doesn't roll into the arm, goes to the correct side. And then you're going to transition into technical mount. And so he did this like buttery, just smooth, like, like he's done it a million times. This like beautiful, like just bouncing like shifting his weight back and forth getting into like this perfect s like technical mount uh and then he he kind of just did this 
like on a whim. He was like, okay, so let's go into, you know, bow and arrow. And he like goes technical and he like shifts up, does the bow and arrow. And he goes, or you can go into an arm bar or you can go into Ezekiel. And he does these three, like all three back to back to back, super quick. And he's like, okay, practice that as you can. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, go for it. One, two, three, clap. You practice it as you go. And, uh, so we get in there and I got this, I got this, this mat burn on my face from my opponents, uh, uh, during tech, during a, a specific training, like he, he ground his, his arm across getting an Ezekiel. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy's going for it. Like really oh, no. going for it. Uh, but the, the, the beauty of this dude, and he wasn't even that old. I mean, he was probably, like late thirties, mate. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to tell. You know, when you spend twenty years I'm, on the mask. I'm thirty eight. Yeah, so, it's like he's, yeah, he's probably okay. in his late thirties. Yeah. But he was. Yeah. He's like a Thank you. third or fourth degree black belt. So what? He's been a black belt for almost ten years at this point. If not longer, at least if he's if not longer, if he's a fourth degree black belt. Yeah, yeah. third, third or fourth, something like that. So it's been like ten years. He's been a black belt. So he's been doing this for 20 years. I was I was talking to the the uh, the actual coach afterwards. And I was like, dude, you know, sometimes I feel like we lose sight of just how just how smooth the the movement is. The comparison of like us doing something or showing something or drilling something versus someone who's drilled it for their entire life, like morning to night, yeah. all day, every day, and it's why starting as a child in anything is going to be the way we want to go. I mean, we have a we have a guy who's been uh, doing jujitsu for ten years. So he was he was there when Robert opened the gym, uh, when Robert opened Gracie Baja Glendale, and uh, he started as a kid. He got his blue belt at sixteen. He's a uh, uh, or no, he got his blue belt. Yeah, at Actually, he got his blue belt a little bit later. He's a purple belt now. He's a purple belt that toys with me more than anybody else in the entire place. Um, and uh, you just see years and years and years of that repetition. It's it's pretty amazing to to watch. So, did you get revenge? That's what I want to know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, I did, I did okay. I did okay. The, the, the guy's, the guy's particularly strong, and I was able to fend off like every one of his attacks. So I didn't get submitted eventually. Um, I was able to survive, even starting on bottom mount. Um, I was able to survive, but he just really went after this, this Ezekiel choke. And I'm, I'm okay. It doesn't really bother me. Like, yeah, I have to be on camera pretty regularly, but it's like whatever. It's on the side of my face. It doesn't show up very well. Uh, no, it was it was good. It's really interesting, by the way, though, because you know that guy, you know, the the purple ball you're talking about, what like ten years, eight or ten years, he's been doing this. But like, I feel like it's a different ten years, you know, like the ten years that that we spend on the mats. Let's say like you and I, I don't know. So I've been doing this for I've been doing jujitsu for three and a half years at this point, and it's like three and a half years, but really mat hours a few hundred mad hours. Sure. Not, like maybe, maybe like maybe 400 mad hours. Uh, sure. Cause I'm not training every day, maybe a few times a week, you know? And if, and that is even with like my travel schedule, I'll take a month off here and there. So like, uh, 
that that 300 hours that's six months for <laughs> for someone who's you know training like five hours a day like wake up in the five morning five days a week yeah, yeah five days a week like yeah. wake up in the morning two, yeah two days two days yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's it's absurd yeah. it's like a different it's a it, it, the years the years measurement is not a good way of measuring it. It doesn't, it makes no, like there was, I remember there was this blue belt. Uh, he ended up, when he got promoted to purple belt, he went and opened his own, his own school. Um, I don't know where he lives, but I don't know. I think he's still here in Texas, but his, his name is Sean and he is a monster. Like he would push the black belts at our gym around because he's, he's a blue belt and he'd been, you know, he, he, his brother was a wrestler. He was never really a wrestler, but his brother was a wrestler, so he had he had exposure to it that. So way. he wrestled his brother. So he yeah, wrestled of his brother. Right? He got crushed by his brother all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And then he spent all day training, all day. I mean, and it wasn't just all day training, like oh, all day doing jujitsu. Like this dude was like, like his wrists were like Coke cans. Like his hands were like the side of a side of beef. Like he was just, he's just like this, this smaller dude, but was just made to rip people in half. And he would toy with, with everyone that wasn't uh, like a brown belt or a black belt. He would literally toy with us. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, getting beat up as a kid, it's why professional athletes, uh, a lot of professional athletes are, are little brothers. You know, um, it's rare that the eldest is the one who's, who succeeds at that level. Um, so you look at it like, you know, look at the Mannings. You have, uh, you, you have Peyton and Eli are the ones that are known, but they have an older brother. I did not know that. Know, uh, who, yeah, that didn't, doesn't play professional football, you know? What a little uh, bitch. So I, I, I imagine, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We all know who. I mean, we don't know who Archie's favorite though, is, but we definitely know who his least favorite is. You know, I, you know what? I uh, I feel bad for him. Why? I mean, not just because I'm, I, I'm the older brother, but I I feel bad. Can you imagine the pressure? Like, okay, your little brother is Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Your little little brother is Eli Manning, one of the best. Quarterbacks. Yeah, one of the best quarterbacks <laughs> I mean, the ever. Probably gonna go, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. You know, he, but uh, he, he also he also happens to be the guy who had Tom Brady's ticket. Like he could just punch Tom Brady's ticket when it mattered, which is you know makes him like a hero for everyone else in the world. I, I wonder if he roots for Tom Brady. He's like, hey, yeah, uh, <laughs> Tom Brady just just uh, passed your touchdown record. How do you feel about that? I wonder, I, I guarantee you, just seeing them, the way they interact, I guarantee you they're talking so much shit all the time uh, to each other. Uh, you know, so. I would imagine I mean, though, do you think, do you think the, so I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if they had a, an even younger brother who also was not in the NFL, that would probably be worse because he would be like, he would be like Todd from Wedding Crashers, just just angsty and absolutely out of place in his entire family. Like he'd be into cosplay and video games or something. <laughs> yeah. He paints, paints in uh, watercolors, pa right. paints on canvas. You know, like what, what is the, what is the most, I mean, what's, 
what's diametrically opposed to football? I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be. Well, it wouldn't. It couldn't be physical. Like I think for uh, some people would probably think of things like, oh, he'd be a ballerina. It's like, well, that would just make him as fucking agile and um, you know physically gifted, but. Instead, he plays with chicks instead of other dudes. So listen, we've trained, we've trained, a, we've trained a professional ballerina. So uh, a ballerino. I, I don't. What do you call a male baller? Uh, what do you call a male ballerina? <laughs> oh, it's. A, I think it's a ballerino, actually. A ballerino. Yeah. 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 So yeah, uh, we, we trained a ballerino. We. Uh, uh, who was it? It was. Um, Oh God! Now, now I'm I'm on the spot and I'm forgetting. Um, Josh and who's Josh's husband? Ryan. Ryan. Ryan was Ryan. Ryan danced basically into his early twenties. Did he really? Yes. He was I, a ballerina. He I was a ballerino. <laughs> I did not know that. That's that's news yeah. to me. You know that explains oh, it why didn't he explain so why well. he's freakishly yes he adapted so Jeez. well to everything we asked him to do. Jeez, that's a good, that's a really good point. But what would the what is the exact like? What's the one eighty from playing football? So football Chess? is no 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 no. It can't. It, it can, I feel like it can't be something competitive. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to um, be like non-competitive, non-physical. What would it be? White knighting on the internet. Just oh, really that's 100% the, the opposite. Exactly. The opposite of playing football is white knighting on the internet. That's it. That's it. You know what? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think the I think the picture the self-esteem kind of of the 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 only thing that they're aligned on is their image of themselves. I think. Yeah, I there think, you go. There you go. I think the way Peyton Manning sees himself and his career and his accomplishments is probably similar to how the white knight uh, on the internet sees what he's doing. Yeah, they're going to get the same level. They'll be in the yeah. Hall of Fame of white knighting. Yeah, he's going to get uh, he's going to get a um, uh, instead of a jacket, a yellow jacket, he's going to get a, like a, a suit of armor. It's going to be a uh, <laughs> <laughs> the white knighting Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's right. The white knighting Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's the 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 Manning family. I didn't even realize that they had an older brother. But isn't is John, John Jones is the youngest of like twelve monsters, isn't he? Like all of his that's, brothers. That's are another <laughs> another perfect example. You know, you look at his brothers; they're all um, they're all freaks of nature in terms of athleticism. So they're all, uh, you know, there's Chandler Jones and there's Arthur Jones. And uh, Chandler Jones is like a defensive end. Arthur Jones, I think, was like a defensive tackle. And um, could you imagine growing up with having your older brothers, uh, NFL caliber athletes, and kicking your ass constantly? <laughs> and, and there's a and, reason why. And they're bigger than him. By, by oh, much lot. bigger than him. Not yeah, that much he's, bigger. He's not even a small person. They're just way bigger no, than No, 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 no. I mean, he's. It's like six four, six five, and he has like eighty nine inch reach, and uh, you know, like something crazy. His elbows, when he throws his elbows, they're the same distance as my full length punch. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's and not I don't have particularly same. short arms. 
you know so he's throwing elbows he's throwing elbows like i throw punches from the same range could you imagine that that's why he's so dangerous plus i mean the, the john jones has been covered quite a bit I, i'm hoping that he's matured but my my bullshit meter which is very well developed makes me think that a lot of this stuff he's just kind of saying because he has to say it at this point. Um, you, mean that, he, you, know, you mean he's being, he's disin- you think he's being disingenuous when he like brings his entire corner over to pray before he gets into the, into the ring. I mean, I don't know if he does that, but it sounds like the type of thing that someone Not, would do. Listen, I, I mean, maybe he does that every day off the camera when we don't see it. And maybe he doesn't, I don't know. But uh, he's a self-professed wild motherfucker. I mean, that's that's how he describes himself. So um, yeah, I don't know. I get I get the sense that as soon as the cameras turn off, he's like, "Fuck this!" Let's, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just the sense that I get. Yeah, well, it's just a sense that I get. Even that is improvement um, because years ago he wouldn't even wait for the cameras to turn off for him to say "fuck this." <laughs> have you have you seen have you seen the have you seen like when him and DC like when they were on like Sports Center or something and and it cut off, but you know obviously they're recording everything, so they're no longer on air and. You know, you can hear John Jones. He's like, "Are you there, pussy?" Just like that. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> yeah. Are you still there, pussy? Like just like that. Like you're like saying it in in almost in a way where it's like, uh, like, oh my god. Uh, okay, so they're fighters. Maybe he's just playing mind games. Maybe he's maybe he's pretending. But it didn't sound like pretending. It sounded like, oh, I'm off the air now. Now I'm going to talk massive shit to my... <laughs> and then they get back on the air and it's like, you know, I've changed as a person. It's, uh, I've come a long way. I've learned a lot. And that's like, cut. Great job, guys. Are you a pussy? You know, are you there? I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. So wait, do you think... Oh God, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I should know the answer to this. But does Khabib have a younger brother? And if he does, is he just is he out there like tearing bears in half with his with his bare hands? Khabib's a little bit of a different story. I, I'm not sure what his family situation is. Uh, I think he does have a brother um, who actually is a also a UFC fighter, and he has cousins, of course, who are you know involved. Like cousins, uh, like uh, blood cousins, or like I mean, cousins, like Armenians are all cousins' cousins, or like Armenian uh, like Barakum cousins, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like we're all like we're all a big family. No, I think I think they're actual cousins. You know, the interesting thing was I've learned a lot too uh, recently about him. Apparently, he's super rich, super rich, and he doesn't spend any of his money. He, uh, you know, I think it all goes to like, you know, making life better at whatever village he's from. You know, and uh, but apparently, when I when I'm saying super rich. I'm saying that his net worth might might be on par with Conor McGregor's, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, apparently he's got a, the backing of a lot of um, 
uh, families with like oil money. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. So there was recently like there was recently a story saying that uh, the Saudis are offering a hundred million dollars for McGregor and Khabib to fight in Saudi Arabia. Holy just, shit! Just a hundred million dollars just to have the fight there. That that's the rumor. I don't know how true that is. But guess what? If that's true, they're fighting in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I would take. They're that fighting paycheck. in Saudi Arabia. I would take that paycheck seven days a week, twice on Sunday. No doubt about it. But it, it comes because his dad said there's no way he's having a rematch with Connor, and they're like, "Come on, there's got to be some like there's got to be something." And his dad said, "Yeah, guarantee him a hundred million dollars, and he'll fight." <laughs> he'll he'll happily beat Connor up again. Yeah. So then there's there's some. But there's I don't know. I don't know somewhere. if money, money motivates him in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if money motivates him in the same way. You know. Uh, but how do you guarantee? How do you guarantee? How do you guarantee Conor McGregor's safety in Saudi Arabia or in Russia? How, how do you? How do you get? How do you say to Conor McGregor, "We're going to make sure everything's okay." We're going to make sure you don't because get Khashoggi. I don't think. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Don't worry, Connor. You're going to be just fine. You're not going to get Kashkogi over here. Don't worry about it. He, he'll be like, I don't know who that is. What? Why are you warning me specifically yeah. about this thing? <laughs> e- even if he does, they'll just kill like 12 people that weren't involved and say, uh, you know, we're sorry that uh, Connor McGregor was chopped up into 18 pieces and um, tortured. What did he do yeah, to piss I- off the Saudis? He was a journalist. No, no, and, not Kishkogi. Uh, oh, okay. Connor. What did Connor do to piss off the Saudis? <laughs> I, I don't think I don't I don't think Connor did anything specifically to piss off the Saudis as much as the fact that uh, Dagestan is a large Muslim population. Oh yeah, and yeah. so if you're it, you know if if you come after one person there's this tendency to make it about the entire religion or the entire race and i really do think that there there's bad blood there but i think also some of it's been amplified yeah you know, i don't i don't I mean, know I listen don't know i'd I love to want, see them you, that's the thing i don't know if i ever want to see another rematch uh, that that rematch because connor lost why not he well, he lost so definitively. Like it wasn't even. I don't well, know. Okay, you've. When's the last time you watched the fight? That when fight it happened. When it happened. Okay, watch it again. Turn off all of the commentary. Just watch it. it even better yet, if you can get something that just has ambient noise, watch <laughs> that, because what you'll what what you'll see is uh, you'll see there's, I mean, obviously he got submitted, okay? So there's no, there's no question about who won. But Khabib lost the first round of his career in that fight, legitimately, all three cards. Um, so the, the first round he's ever lost was against Conor McGregor. 
Okay. Uh, watch the first. Watch the first round. I mean, it, in the first round, Khabib takes him down. Khabib takes everybody down. But he didn't really do anything in the first round. Connor defended intelligently, and the way the way MMA is scored, it doesn't matter because Khabib was on top the entire time. But if you watch that first round, he didn't really do anything. Second round, he beat the crap out of him, no question about it. Third round, I think Connor is that's the round that Connor won. And then the, in the fourth round is when, uh, you know, the submission happened. Uh, so, uh, and then if you hear Connor talk about it, he talks about the fact that he was not taking the fight seriously. I mean, listen, again, bullshit, bullshit meter goes off when I hear stuff like that. But to think about that was, that was really right after the Mayweather stuff. So he got the huge payday you know, probably a, an actual eight figure check, like an actual check with a number on it that had eight figures. Okay. <laughs> Not including the sense. Okay. Uh, and so, I mean, no matter how focused you are and how disciplined you are, I mean, that, that can change you uh, and change your perspective because uh, fighting. Another thing is like, you and I have grown up in a very comfortable, relatively comfortable lifestyle. Like the art of getting into a fight, even jujitsu, I find that the mean streak necessary to be really good. And I don't mean petty. I don't mean deliberately like, you know, like I'm going to grab your nose and like pull the nostrils, <laughs> you know, or I'm going to elbow you, uh, you know, just to create space. I, I mean, the lack of empathy necessary in order to properly apply certain techniques. Yeah, like I, know, I, feel I don't bad. like I don't like making my opponent or my training partner feel uncomfortable. And uh, most of jujitsu is making the other person as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah, you're you're trying to control them in order to submit them. That's the goal of jujitsu. But I want to do it more get, gently. Uh, I don't, I want to ease them into it. <laughs> so uh, I think you've learned this, and I've learned this after three years. That uh, while they call it the gentle art, they're calling it the gentle art because uh, you aren't purposefully throwing these, uh, you know, uh, like registered weapons at uh somebody else's face trying to cut them uh you're you're um that's why it's called gentle there's really good jujitsu there's nothing gentle about it um it's actually a tremendous amount of pressure and discomfort um followed by um moments of terror culminating in uh thanking the other person for um letting go when you you tapped I, you know? Thank you for not murdering me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, no. I'm always, I'm always thanking people after they've, they've submitted me. Like tap. Oh, th thank you so much for showing me again uh, that that movement. Good murder yeah. practice today, everybody. We had good murder practice. Yeah, but one of the things I don't don't like. One of the things that I wish, you know, one of the things that goes along with having empathy is also good hygiene. So I feel like. I'm thoughtful about what I smell like, 
take, make sure my, my, my breath smells okay. Whereas I've rolled with people who have zero compunction, like they, either they're not aware of it or they're aware of it and they're using it as an offensive weapon. Come offensive, on. both in the sense, oh, I mean, I've, I've been like the armpit submission, you know, uh, oh, you know, oh. Uh, oh, it's terrible. Like, you know, right away when somebody prob maybe hasn't showered, uh, that day and they're rolling with you. It's like, it's not fun. Smokers. I can't deal with smokers, you know, who, um, are like breathing their smoke filled breath on me. It's coming from, and, and it comes from deep. So right. Cause not, they're breathing hard. Yeah. So that, that's like, yeah, they're, they're clearing out the lungs. No, 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 no. It's not the last cigarette that they're breathing on me. It's the years and years of cigarettes. <laughs> it's like, it's coming from the diaphragm deep. And it's, it, it's like, <sighs> and it's like, it's over. I'm done. That, that was a great move. <laughs> that was a great move. Um, Yo, and then and then sick people. I mean, Zach has the flu. I don't know if I told you. No, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he he has the flu, um, and I, I forget how terrifying it must be for an eight and a half year old to sit in a doctor's office and and have to undergo a test. The test is a swab into your nostril, like a nasal cavity. Yeah, with a with what looks like an extended cotton swab. So it, it's, you're already uncomfortable. Okay. And then having the doctor say, yeah, you have this thing called the flu. Zach freaked out. He legitimately freaked out and uh, he felt, I, I think he was just scared. You know, he didn't know what he was supposed to, you know, what, how to differentiate between a stomach pain because he's hungry and the stomach pain as a symptom of something is horribly wrong because I have the flu. So uh, that's been an interesting experience trying to trying to empathize with him and also at the same time really kind of explain to him, hey, you're going to be okay. Uh, uh, so he's he's on day two. He's been playing a lot of video games. Well, I mean, there's there's always and that. There's always the the positive aspect of you know his Minecraft game is probably on point at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, he's caught I, all I, Pokemon. Yeah, I I want I want a healthy balance between uh, being afraid of the flu and enjoying that you're going to have all of this time to play video games. Because if it goes way too far towards the video games, then guess what? He's going to be sick all the time. You know, oh, I'm not feeling well. Take my temperature. What I don't want is for him to have that thing where it's like, am I sick? Am I sick? Am I sick? Am I sick? Like, oh, my stomach hurts. Am I sick? I don't want that. Um, and it, it's tough because everything that you're exposed to with the you know, stuff going on in China and the coronavirus, that's another thing. Dude, the coronavirus, you know, the media, <laughs> the, I don't know if the media just enjoys the marketing aspect of this stuff. It's like, how can we make this sound as scary as possible? We'll refer to it by its, by its like genus 
its species name or however we refer to these types of viruses. Right. And we'll call it a, we'll call it a novel coronavirus, you know? <laughs> and then when you think about, when, you know, and, and we all have Google, so we look it up and it's like coronavirus refers to viruses that are, that are, uh, you know, in, in a family of, of like the cold. The cold is a coronavirus, apparently. Okay. The common cold is a type of coronavirus. When you call it a novel coronavirus, yeah. it's just, you know, and, and then you get questions like, what does novel mean? Like, no, <laughs> novel means that they've never seen anything like it before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, the thing I love about, and by love, I mean, I'm terrified by about the coronavirus and the reaction and response to the coronavirus is the people who are just so wonderfully oblivious to um, uh, probabilistic catastrophes in that the the best argument that they can come up with is the flu kills tens of thousands of people a year and you don't see anybody talking about that. And it's like, yeah, man. We do talk about the flu. The flu has a has a vaccine. Everyone is encouraged to get it. But did you not realize that China has literally quarantined like tens of millions of people because they are worried about how this is going? And by the way, people just are supposed to believe the government of China is providing accurate numbers about this about like how many people are dying and how many people are infected and where they are. Like uh, the Wuhan thing, I mentioned this to, to Katie. Katie, you know, has as much of a understanding of Chinese geography as I do. And I was like, Kate, like how big do you think Wuhan is? And she's like, well, I, don't know. I just pictured it like a big city. And I was like, well, that's different than me because when I think of Wuhan, China, I, I think of like, you know, where Tom Cruise got lost in the last seven. A Jet Li movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You you imagine like a you imagine like rice like a, a village built on steps with rice patties and like three hundred people. Yes, because and, to me uh, that and is, then you that's the you majority of China. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns yeah. out Wuhan is is eleven yeah. million look people strong. <laughs> Seventh largest city in China, which makes it the like eighth largest city in the world. So <laughs> I saw this picture, dude. I saw this picture of Wuhan after it like over the past like week, and they've shut it down to the point where it has these like eight lane in each direction highways interchanges, like five stacks tall, overcross one another, and it's just empty. Not a human being in sight. It looks like something out of like The Walking Dead. It just looks it looks completely abandoned. And maybe all of those people are just behind the person taking the picture. You know what I mean? Maybe they're just like all hanging out back there having a good time barbecuing bats or something. Yeah. But it's uh <laughs> the, the coronavirus thing is uh is is wild. It is absolutely wild. The 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 did you see the study by the Indian? Did you see the Did you see the paper by the Indian scientists? No. Did you Did you look at that? Okay, so uh, you know, a, a paper was put out by Indian virologists, and, and 
you know, they're legitimate scientists. Now the paper was put out on a site that allows scientists to put out these papers. So prior to peer review so that they can get more eyeballs on it basically. Okay. So it was put out prior to peer review. Uh, so that's my uh, disclaimer, but the paper talked about the fact that the scientists uh, looked at the virus and identified what they called inserts that were <laughs> identical to HIV, okay? Which, I, I mean, listen, when you hear... Like, when you hear HIV, what you think of is like Magic Johnson and this incurable disease and this epidemic. And it's pretty much the most horrible slow death that you can have, right? I mean, like Ebola kills you fast. You bleed from your eyeballs. You're dead within the, you know, days or weeks. You know, HIV takes time, you know, uh, turns into a syndrome you know, it, it completely and, wears your entire body down to nothing, basically. Yep. Yeah. So what you know, what scientists do is they say normal things in not normal language. So one of the phrases that they used in this paper was the inserts that they observed um, were not fortuitous, quote unquote. Okay. Right. So when <laughs> when you initially hear that. Yeah, they weren't fortuitous. Like, well, yeah, duh. we're so unlucky. Of course, we're unlucky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you never want your common cold to turn into HIV. Like, that would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're like, are they? Do they mean that in the same way that I understand fortuitous? And you start like looking into what does that mean? Oh, not fortuitous means that it wasn't likely caused by a natural evolution of this, of, of this turning into that. And then you're like, huh, that's strange because I remember a story early on that the Chinese government was having great success treating the actual sickness, the coronavirus with HIV drugs. And you're like, how did, how did the Chinese government go from, oh, we got some sick people. Don't worry. Everything's okay. To, we're treating them with HIV drugs and seeing great success. Like, how do they go? We're going to pick the most expensive drug you can find to try to treat this, you know, the, the respiratory, upper respiratory uh, illness. And then you, like, the conspiracy theorist in me is like, mm, Wuhan also, it's not far from where the government of China develops, like, you know, tests a lot of these viruses. Yeah, they have like a you coronavirus know. development lab in Wuhan, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, the, the conspiracy theory really comes down to, and I don't really have, I don't have a, I don't have a name for this, but it, it, I think, I think someone somewhere, maybe we can, we can come up with a name for it, but it's kind of like the, the law of inverse reaction, right? So, you know, uh, Trump kills Soleimani, the entire, you know, media infrastructure turns into World War Three. And the internet starts memeing World War III, which is hilarious on many levels, <clears throat> which absolutely means that there's no chance that World War III is going to happen. Like that's the, it, it's a, it's a 100% Did you actually think there was a chance? No, it, it, the, based off the reaction, that's what I'm saying. It's an inverse, the, the truth is inverse to the reaction that, that is portrayed, right? 
And that's what makes the coronavirus thing so worrisome because the the media machine reaction to coronavirus <laughs> is like, don't worry about it. Everything's Nothing. fine. China's got it under control. We've got it under control. The flu is way, way more dangerous, obviously. And no one is memeing it. No one's memeing coronavirus. <laughs> no, because you don't want to get a virus that has uh, novel, uh, fortuitous HIV inserts in it. Uh, I'd like to avoid that. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound super good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go no. ahead and make a really strong statement of saying it doesn't sound super good. Yeah, I, but the the media reaction. I mean, you're talking about uh, Soleimani getting killed. Uh, the you know. I was at a Walmart when that, like right after all that went down and when social media was just exploding with people, people saying, you know, oh, it's, you know, World War Three, we're going to get drafted. Uh, you know, Twitter is like the cesspool of, of echo chambers where everybody goes to the, the most extreme I- example. And, and that's what is lo- like lauded and praised, you know, and so. I was at the Walmart and two of the associates, you know, I was waiting for them to acknowledge me so that I could come up and pay for what I was getting. Two of the associates were talking like, you know, there's no way I like, how are we going to, how are we going to get away when they reinstitute the draft? And so, you know, they're talking about this, like, there's no way I'm not going to, I like, I can't serve in the military. And, you know, the other guy's like, yeah, I'd rather go back to jail or something like that. He said something like that. So, um, so I walked up and I was like, hey, guys, are you talking about Soleimani? And they're like, yeah, Iran. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, listen, guys, <laughs> Iran isn't doing shit. There's a zero chance that they're doing anything. Why? Because here's the thing. That guy thought he was untouchable. I mean, that's why he he traipsed around the entire Middle East like it was his playground because he believed that um, he could, as long as he was using proxies, Americans' own uh, like hesitation to really take it to anybody was going to prevent us from doing anything and uh and i think that changed i think that changed very quickly i think the leadership after happened after they got that news i mean you know they were they were out being blustery they were out saying like yeah we will strike a death blow to you know the great satan but really i think it scared the shit out of them right and that's why you haven't heard anything uh, have you heard anything about iran no, we have not heard anything because about what? Iran. I was going to say that you're, you're, they, they felt they were untouchable until you get reached out and touched. Boop. Just a little, yeah. a little yeah. boop on the nose. We see you. Hi. Also, the way, I mean, they, they had to identify the guy. Like, I mean, he was in pieces. Lots of pieces. <laughs> and sure so, I mean, the violence, the violence, yeah, he was beside himself. Um, <laughs> the, vi- the violence. Couldn't have happened to a better guy, by the way. Fuck him. Um, uh, you know, all of this, all of this attempt to make him into this warrior poet after, uh, you know, after the fact. You mean he's not just you know, an was, austere scholar? 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't get me started. Dude. Don't get me started. Uh, yeah. But you, I mean, you see it. Iran's not doing anything. They're not going to do anything, especially now. I mean, let's say, let's say Trump had been impeached and removed. Then I think within a few days, you'd see, you'd see crazy shit happening. So I, I really do, do think that despite all of, you know, uh, everybody losing their mind uh, and everybody really getting so, uh, it's like tribalization, you know, you like, it's like, oh, that's my team no matter what. And I, it makes sense when you're a tribe because it's your only way that you survive. It doesn't make sense in 2020 on the internet. You don't need to be a part of a tribe. Guess what? You can, you can disagree or think logically or credibly about something and have an open mind. And guess what? You won't die. Um, despite, despite the, the alarmist saying that we're moving towards a dictatorship. I mean, I love that, 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 that's one of my favorite things I've been seeing. Like it's usually people today who've, who've never lived in or known anybody that's lived in a dictatorship that say that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. It's like, uh, yeah, we live in a dictatorship now. It's like, yeah, well, how many people were murdered for saying that? Oh, zero? Yeah, were you harassed? No, of course not. You're you're the prevailing opinion Twitter, you know? And so it's like uh, Twitter actually blocks you if you're like, uh, no, wait one second. Trump is a good blocked, like sensitive, <laughs> the, the, you know, the post that you're about to read has sensitive content. And it's like, what is the sensitive content? Oh my God, they were disagreeing with the, with the you know prevailing uh, opinion online. You know what? What, um, what surprises me is uh, is how readily people will align with one hundred percent of like this or that, right? It, the, I'm I'm really surprised by the lack of nuance and maybe it's just the people that I see on, you know, Twitter is not a really good example because that place is not real in any way, shape or form. But, right. um, you know, the, 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 the story that's being told, right. So, you know, you got to think of like, are you, are you buying what you're being sold? Right. So the story that's being told is like, uh, um, us versus them, regardless of what side you're on. But it's always pitted like these two angles, these two sides, and there there isn't there doesn't mm. seem to be a conversation about any nuance between people who are like, you know, I agree with this portion of this side and that portion of the other side, and not with these things that either of them say, and not with this, and maybe there's a little bit. It seems like people are so ready to just be like, you know what, down the fucking line. I'm 100% in, in with whatever he's got to say, or I'm 100% with whatever she has to say. I have no other opinions about anything. I, I cannot disagree with them in any, and it's like, why is it, is it, is winning that important? Like, is it that much more important to win than it is to actually find, uh, like, that's one of the things I actually really like about, like a UK's, uh, like part the Brits, British parliamentary system. Like there is no real way of having like a supermajority in 
a parliamentary system because there's interests you like your your government is built off of a representation of any number of interests as long as you meet the like a bare minimum of of you know representation you're you're in the government and they generally i i mean you know i haven't had a civics class in a long time especially not one regarding the parliamentary system but my understanding here if if i'm not totally off base is like it generally falls along the lines of conservative and progressive, but it, it has so many nuanced versions of each of those things that, uh, you know, uh, like my understanding is that in a country like Iceland, which has like a parliamentary system, they have an entire political party whose, in, whose, whose identity and reason of existing is based on uh, establishing and keeping the rights of handicapped people as best as possible. Just like, Spotlight on handicapped people. This is what we do. Um, and one of the things that I think, damn, like the U.S. is, like the citizens of the U.S. seem to be not served by is the fact that you're given like an either or choice without nuance. You know, I just don't know anybody that fits one or the other wholesale you know, and I think it's really weird that. Well, like, you don't kinda... know. You don't know anybody. I, you don't know anybody. But the thing is, is that most of what we see is this idea of like, okay, if you're on this side, you have to hate Trump. If you're on this side, you have to support him no matter what. And if you say anything nice about the other side, it's weaponized. So it, you know, so like if you're like, hey, that person has a point. You know, maybe, maybe there's a better way, there's an opportunity here to handle that in a better way in the future. If you say that, they're like, look at that. We had our first bipartisan, you know, uh, <laughs> and it's like, wait one second. And then, and then three weeks later when, you know, they don't need you anymore, they're, they're talking shit about you. You know, right. you, you might as well be, you might as well be the worst person ever to live. You mean like basically so, what they did with John McCain? Like how, you know, while he was alive, John McCain was like, uh, you know, a darling of the Republicans and hated by the left. And, you know, he has one big move at the, at the end of his life before he, before he kicks off this rock. And suddenly it's like everyone, everyone in the Republican Party is like, we always hated that snake. And everyone in like the, the Democrats are like, what a true American hero. Look at this man. It's like, what just happened? Literally what just happened? I don't like, there's so much more nuance and story involved here. And, you know, I think maybe, maybe, just maybe it's because uh, we're getting fed a big pile of fucking horse shit. Maybe that's what it is that, you know, the the sources that people trust for any sort of analysis or news or commentary or reporting are so far gone and so deeply just troubled to their core with whether it's like outright corruption or just un subconscious bias or whatever, that the story is twisted by the time it reaches anybody and you start playing this weird telephone game with like what actually happens and what it actually means and what it possibly could mean i think like that gets really thrown in there people start throwing around possibilities and you know uh they start extrapolating what it might mean if x y or z you go like three or four degrees down that mm. down that road and 
you've made so many assumptions and you've made so many unconscious decisions about, you know, what you assume is good and bad. And then you, you fucking, you tell people that as if it's a fact and suddenly the story is, is completely, is, is, is completely, uh, jumbled up. You know, nobody has any real grasp on what's happening and why it's happening and, you know, where it's going. Well, when it, when it comes, I think one of the things that it's just an evolution of technology. So 30 years ago, the only way for the president of the United States to communicate directly with the people was through the filter of the media, whether it was print or television. Okay. There was no internet. There's no way to directly communicate with people. You know, uh, generally speaking, you know, presidents had like maybe weekly radio addresses that were covered, you know, or, or, you know, once in a while, a television speech. But what, what's happened is uh, a couple things have happened. One, the, the profession, in my opinion, just given the reality of how, you know, our, our four-year institutions are, are creating people who are activists in that role. And, and that, I mean, it's okay. You can be an activist and a journalist. You just can't do journalism while you're, you're being an activist. Does that make sense? Like you have to, you have to put aside the, the activism portion of it and just report. And, and so everybody's been focusing on like unprecedented attack on the, on the media and on journalism. It's because the message that's being communicated is being sculpted in such a way to convey something different than what reality is. Now, um, I think why Donald Trump has been so effective is because he's he's like through his bombastic you know, manner, through his non-presidential um, way of communicating, he's really brought attention to that. And guess what? We see when he directly communicates, you know, I, I hear people who are like looking and maybe they've been, you know, they're like huge orange man bad Donald Trump haters suffering from just you know, the worst form of Trump derangement syndrome and they hear him talk without any commentary and their initial reaction is like, wow, this is so dumb. But you, you see for a second, it's like the state of the union. I mean, listen, you might hate the fact that he's a reality show guy and that he um, knows how to make you feel something one direction or the other. I mean, some of the stuff that he pulled during that, that state of the union was, was stuff that we hadn't seen before awarding the presidential medal of freedom like during the state of union the state of the union um like doing a hey your husband's been in afghanistan for four years guess what <laughs> he's here like yeah yeah I, I i understand i understand how someone would get that and go how dare he belittle the the traditions of this fine you know, uh, event, but remember the state of the union address has been televised for, let's say 40 years. Okay. I, um, you know, this country has had presidents for 200 plus. Uh, 
So before then, the State of the Union was a super formal event. Uh, you know, people were were logging the words, what was written. It was being printed in newspapers. You know, when the, the you know when the reel was uh, you know maybe it was played on the radio. But it's one of the rare opportunities that you know a president has to directly communicate with the people of the United States. And the, and listen, that's why that's why Trump's on Twitter. Because guess what? It's unfiltered. What he thinks and what he says in that minute is directly is directly transmitted to the people. Now, everyone, you know, should the president of the United States conduct policy on Twitter? Probably not. Uh, um, but if you believe that the message that you're giving is constantly being sculpted in such a way to make it the most negative thing possible, no matter what, no matter what happens. Um, if you're not delivering good news along with bad news, uh, simply because the good news means that your side isn't winning, um, then you, you don't love the United States. You don't love America. You, you, you love your party. And, um, I think it's what we're, what we're seeing, like we're, we're seeing, you know, one party here in the United States completely lose their identity. I mean, Democrats used to be like classical liberals, basically, you know, um, in the sense that they were progressive. Uh, uh, they look, you know, the, the party itself was, uh, you know, progressive in the, in the sense of the word, what it means, progressive. But now it's become, you know, in order to win, in order to, um, in order to, and make sure that the other side doesn't win. They've gone so far over, you know, to the left and uh, we're seeing it. I mean, you know, you, you have an actual socialist who is the front runner for the Democrat nomination. And I think it's super dangerous for not only the country, but it's super dangerous for, for the Democrat party. This is as somebody who's like lifelong Republican, uh, I, I think the Democrats are on the verge of losing their party and their identity. Um, and it's because, you know, they've, in order to win, they've allowed this un-American concept into their party. This idea of like, you know what? The government knows best. The government will handle this. You know, uh, don't worry what your eyes are telling you and what you see about all of the examples of failed socialist, you know, um, uh, states, uh, because that wasn't the type of socialism that we're going to have. Um, so we're just going to take over all of the means of production and, uh, government's going to take over your healthcare and government's going to take over, you know, all of this stuff and don't worry it, you know, we'll do it better than it's been done in the past. And unfortunately, Believe it or not, I mean, I believe that you know this idea of uh, the the United States is something special. I I believe that it, it, it's not a bad thing to believe that. Um, uh, I think it's been borne out by the success this country has had and the fact that so many people do want to come here because of the opportunities and what the United States has done in the world. Has it been perfect? No, we're human beings. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what you think, whether 
you think that we evolved from monkeys, or if you think that we, um, we you know, we were created and, uh, you know, uh, came from Adam and Eve, it doesn't matter. Since the beginning, we've, we're a violent, you know, uh, we're a violent uh, uh, species, basically, okay? And, 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 and so um, with 7 billion people on this planet, soon to be 8 billion people on this planet, you know, the vast majority are going to resort to instinct, you know, fight or flight, basic decisions in order to survive. And guess what? Um, people will do in incredible things to make sure that their family survives, to make sure their tribe survives. And the United States, I think, offers a place where, um, where you know, you can get away from that. Everybody has, you know, maybe not the exact same opportunity, but opportunity on par that you wouldn't see anyplace else. And, and that's getting lost. That's, that's, that's getting lost in the shuffle of like, what? let's invite, you know, everybody. We don't have to, you know, if we have such a great place, let, let everybody come in. And I think, um, I think we have to protect a little bit what we have and put things in perspective. I don't know. What do you think about it? The thing that worries me is why are we seeing more and more intense versions of this like tribalism than we have in the past, right? And what I see happening is um, people have lost the ability or whatever to identify who they are in meaningful ways. And so, you know, um, for what, what, what do you mean? So identify themselves in meaningful ways. What I mean by that is, is people uh, forever and ever were able to say like, this is who I am and this is what I do. And this is the type of person I am, you know, and then the U S uh, being the, the land that it became this like, you know, democratic Republic, this land of opportunity allowed people to, to, you know, grow into themselves, like their literal identity. I mean that in the literal sense, like who are you as a person and how do you identify who you are as a person? You know, is it your work? Is it your family? Is it whatever? Right. I think something has happened I know for a fact the internet has to do with it, but I think something has happened where over the past like 25, 30 years, people seem to have lost their capacity or the, you know, whatever it is to identify who they are in a meaningful way and have a sense of self identity. And so because they don't, whatever, like, you know, there is no more, uh, you know, the, the rite of passage, the, the, uh, you know, Native American, uh, uh, you know, going out into, into the, the land and finding your spirit animal type thing. Right. And there was a sense of that, I think really up until like the nineties, pretty much maybe even up until like the two thousands, like you could, you could find yourself in doing things, right. You could, you could, create the person that you are and have an identity. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you'd have, you know, a great life. It doesn't mean that you'd have like, you know, uh, you'd, you'd be like a millionaire or whatever, but it meant that you'd at least be, uh, not necessarily at peace, but knowledgeable about you 
as a human being. And I think that has been mm-hmm. lost to the point mm-hmm. where people will glom onto anything that that gives them an identity. So it, mm. it, it, you don't have to go through the process of saying, I am okay with this because I've had these experiences. I don't like this. I'm not all right with that. You know, you don't have to go and like, you know, push into this uncomfortable, like experience of trying to figure it out when you can just say, all right, well, I'll just check all of these boxes and this is now who I am. And, and the, the reason why I'm saying that is, is, uh, it seems like if you were to take the names and pictures from, if you like took social media and you like separated the content of every profile from the names and the pictures, and then you played like a matching game of like names and pictures and bios to like the content that you would see on those, you'd 98% accuracy be able to match shit up just based off of very surface level Mm -hmm. details. You just be able to be able to tell exactly like you can, the fact that you can see like maybe one thing about somebody or how they present themselves and essentially know without much error how they're going to react or feel about a hundred thousand other things I think is not good I don't think people are supposed to be like that I think people are supposed to be much better rounded much more you know sharp edges and different sort of everyone kind of leans and grows into different different versions of things right and so yeah they become ideological ideological puppets I mean they're 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 um, it, it's, it's why the term NPC hit, hit home so, so much. So NPC is like this meme basically of a non player character. Okay. So if you've played any video games, you know, the, 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 the guy in the village who gives you the quest or the lady who needs, you know, her, her child saved or whatever the case might be, they're NPCs. They're, they're not quote unquote real people. You know, they've got scripted language. They have certain reactions and you can predict it. You know, what's going to happen. Oh, hero, uh, come over here. Great. You go over there. What they tell you their story. And then guess what? You go on the quest, you come back and they give you a reward. That's very simple, but, What's what's happened, uh, and I think I'll go back to what you said about the rite of passage idea. But what's happened is, in order to feel like you're a part of something, uh, and when you have no real struggle in your life, okay, uh, hey, it's easy to grab. Like, look, I can be a part of group. Is parrot everything that they say. So, you know, my reactions have to be scripted and some people find comfort in that, uh, because they're a part of something they can easily identify themselves in a certain way. But guess what? Interactions with that person for anybody who thinks for themselves to a large extent, or even a little bit interactions with that people become tedious and boring and, and, uh, angering almost like it's enraging. It's like, like everything that's said, you know, uh, 
Um, it's that reaction, like anytime you say the word Trump, like, Meh! like why, why is that the first reaction? Like, I get it. You don't like him. Okay. Um, but it, it would be the same for like, uh, you know, somebody on the right, uh, you know, every time, I don't know, Hillary Clinton's mentioned and you're like, mm. you know, it's like you become an ideological puppet. And once you're, you're possessed by that ideology, um, it becomes really difficult to take you out of it. Now you, you talked about, you, you were talking about the, the idea of, of, um, of this rite of passage that we lost it. A absolutely. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the things it's like, so hard times make hard men, hard men make easy times, easy times make weak men, you know, weak men make hard times. It becomes like this, this cycle, this unbelievable cycle where, you know, you've got like the generation that was World War II and then immediately following that, it was like a bunch of hippies. Like all we're going to do is, you get what I'm saying? But, yeah. but even that loses a little bit of, of, even that is too binary in the sense that, in the sense that uh, like, hey, listen, there's, there was value in that as well, okay? But what ends up occurring is we, we see what the, uh, what the fallout of that is. And I think we're in that now. So how do you do it? I, I mean, I ask my question, I, I, I ask myself that question all the time because I have a nine-year-old. So how do I create rites of passage for a nine-year-old who lives in one of the nicest uh, suburbs of Los Angeles, um, you know, goes to a nice school, has pretty much whatever he wants, has no concept of what struggle is, okay? Um, how do you do that? You have to create the struggle artificially, I think. It's the only answer. And so what do you do? You create situations and circumstances in the real world that, uh, that um, you know, um, approximate struggle. Now, it's not real, okay? I mean, you know, I, I, there, there might be people, you know, who would hear me say that and go, oh, like, how privileged is this guy, you know? Um, like, yeah, we're not talking about how the bottom 10% live in a place like China, okay? Um, which is just probably just hell on earth, pure struggle. But even in that, I think there are moments and opportunities for beauty and growth. Um, and and uh, I think we've lost some of that here. I mean, what I do with, with Zach is I create circumstances where he has to challenge himself, where he has to be outside of his comfort zone. And his comfort zone is large, okay? I mean, comparatively to um, a lot of people, uh, he's had a lot of opportunities and, and a blessed life, and, and we've been able to provide that for him. But it might be as simple as, as saying like, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, like uh, he once, when he was about seven and a half, I encouraged him, I encouraged him to, go outside and just go around like, like take a walk around the block. Now, you know, you might be thinking, Oh my God, the, the, the you know, the struggle, the struggle, you know, of like, 
of 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 a seven year old having to you know like you know there's seven year olds I'm sure who are like struggling to find their next bite to eat. I get that. I get that. I'm not comparing the two, but it's important for his development, for him to challenge his, his boundaries, for him to understand that, Hey, I'm scared of that. And I'm going, you know, being scared doesn't mean, um, you know, that like, so the guy running into the burning building, he's so brave. Bravery isn't an absence of fear. You know, uh, somebody who doesn't feel fear is a psychopath, is a sociopath. Like they're not a normal, they don't, they don't operate normally. Bravery is being scared of something and still doing it. And I think every time you do that, every time you're scared of something and you face it, you, you gain experience, you level up. And, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of kids in the United States um, don't have that opportunity. Um, and so what ends up occurring then is this idea of like, you know, how do we create the type of people who understand even conceptually what what it means to test those boundaries? Um, you know, that maybe they didn't struggle themselves in the way that, you know, a child growing up in poverty who's, you know, has a single parent and uh, that person's working two jobs, like, maybe not like that. But, but how they tested their boundaries and, and, you know, those rites of passage that you're talking about, guess what, the first time he went around the block was terrifying for him. But when he came back, it was huge. And now he wants to push those boundaries further and further, it becomes addicting. And what we've lost as a society, I think, especially a lot of, a lot of, you know, young, young kids, I'm talking about teenagers, young adults, they've lost that, that ability to struggle. The only struggle for them is one of like, I'm going to struggle against an imaginary oppressor. Who's the oppressor? You're not oppressed. You go to Harvard. Like what, you know, David Hogg. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't wish anything on anybody what he went through, you know, being involved in a school shooting where somebody walks in and shoots up a bunch of your friends and they die. Okay. But come on, man. Like you're at Harvard, you're, you know, uh, and um, all you're talking about is, you know, how oppressed, you know, um, people are, including all of the minorities at Harvard. It, you know what? It's why we we talked about the white knights earlier. I mean, it's why they get they 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 get a little endorphin rush from it. Like I'm doing something, I'm protecting somebody. And it's like, no, you know what? Get out and actually protect somebody. Like next time you see somebody in a supermarket grab their kid by their upper arm, don't go. That's none of my business. They'll raise their kid the way they want. Say, hey, that looks like it hurts. Like just tell them to stop. You know. And maybe, you know, it's like, you know what, Zara, you're being stupid and naive. Um, you know, it's none of your business. But guess what? I mean, what do you think you're doing when you're jumping on a conversation on Twitter and saying that, uh, you know, your white privilege is showing or you're a heteronormative, cisgendered, uh, you know, white male who doesn't understand anything what anybody's going through? Um, I think it's just a flawed opinion. It's, it's people who lack empathy. Uh, assuming that 
that everybody else also lacks empathy. Like, guess what? Um, I don't know what it's like to be a disabled, half Native American, half black, um, uh, eight-year-old girl. I, I, I'll never know what that's like. I'll never experience it. But guess what? I have enough empathy to look at that person and go, hey, they've overcome some challenges in their life and they're going to have some challenges the rest of the way. And how, as a society, in order to encourage you know, everybody to, to get, you know, realize their full potential as a human being, how, how do we accomplish that? I don't need, if I were on a government board, to have that eight-year-old show up and tell me, um, you know, uh, hey, I am the foremost expert on being an eight-year-old girl with, uh, you know, uh, uh, with all of these problems. This is what the government needs to do. And then having all of these people turn around and go, that's the future. Listen to what she's saying, you know, because yeah, it's nice to hear that experience directly from someone who has experienced it. It helps us empathize, but to put that person on the pedestal and all of a sudden make them the foremost expert simply because they are all of those individual identities. It's silly. It's not a way to, to, you know, create a productive society. Anyway, yeah. that, that got, that got really happy. That got really heavy. How are, how are your dogs? They're good. They're hanging out. They're they're enjoying their afternoon. It's been. They also had a, a long day yesterday. They were out at the. Uh, uh, we call it doggy Vegas, but just big daycare because Katie and I were both gone all day yesterday. So uh, they they are also exhausted, which has been very nice because an exhausted dog is a good dog, and they are all being very very good dogs. They've only barked once this entire time. So that's huge, which probably was like the mail being delivered and it was a half-assed spark. Okay. Last thing, because I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, take Narek. So speaking of Narek and your dogs, a little birdie. So, you know, I mean, Narek, Narek just had his successful knee surgery and, uh, and you know, uh, everything's great. He's he had his first day of physical therapy today. Um, a little birdie told me that, one of your dogs suffered catastrophic uh, ligament damage to their their legs. Correct. Our our little girl Loki. She she has like a she has both. She has to get uh, ACL surgery on both her hind legs. Um, and I'm curious why you didn't. I'm curious why you did have. I mean, you haven't mentioned this at all. You haven't. You haven't. <laughs> There has been no mention, you know, I, I mean, I think it would be natural for you to say, you know, I, I think it would be natural for you to say, oh, you're having knee surgery. That's funny because my dog just had knee surgery too. Uh, but, but for some reason you didn't. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to the bottom of why, why that is. Is it, is it you, you didn't want the, like to create the comparison between what your dog is going through and what Narek is going through or talking about the doggy daycare stuff. Is it maybe the fact that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what an ACL surgery looks like. For a, even, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how right much, now. <laughs> how much did it cost? That's what okay, I So wondering. we haven't had the surgery yet. We haven't had the surgery yet. Uh, with the, she, How much is the surgery going to cost? Loki has a consultation on Saturday, 
and we'll find out the exact cost. But we were quoted ballpark anywhere from four to five thousand dollars a leg. Two, two okay, two legs. You you said multiple legs. Two legs. Two legs. So eight to ten thousand dollars for the surgery. What? Okay, that's that's ludicrous. First of all, number number one. Number two. What what are you going to do for uh, PT? How, what does that look like? I have. I honestly, this keeps me up at night a little bit because I don't know how she's going to recover. We have a we have a sixteen month old puppy who outweighs her by ten pounds and doesn't want to do anything other than wrestle her. And I'm pretty sure he's the reason how did, why. How did? I'm pretty sure that's what did it. I'm pretty sure he just plays so Bowie plays so hard with Loki that that's what messed her knees up. So the thing is, like, she's going to have arthritis for the rest of her life, and it's only going to get worse. And we have to have surgery, or like even so. Right now, we give her we give her um, like basically the equivalent of doggy NSAIDs twice a day, like morning and night. And without it, if we miss it, it is, it's like tiny Tim. It's so sad. It's so sad. Like she's like, she limps and it's just so sad, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to end on this because I I do have to pick up um, our, our human brother who has had knee surgery who probably spent less um, on that than you're going to spend. Have you had the, the, I mean, real talk. Have you had the difficult, uh, like, have you had the difficult conversation or is it just not even an option? Like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you even? I don't, you know what? I'm not going to even ask you to clarify what difficult conversation you're speaking of because I think I know what you're talking about and you cannot even put that out into the universe. Don't even, don't even, don't even, don't even. How dare you? Unbelievable. That is my little girl. Okay. 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 I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it out loud. All I am going to say. <laughs> Don't even. I, no, no. All I'm going to say. All I'm going to say. Assuming that it's it's uh, a similar amount of time for PT. So uh, with all of the doggy drugs and the uh, doggy PT. And uh, I mean, if doggy daycare costs $80 a day, doggy PT is probably like like four hundred dollars um so uh i mean assuming that your all in probably looks something like 15 grand is that a good good estimate i'd say that's i'd say that's on the top end but yeah that's probably about right i mean you can get a chinese company to clone (laughs) your dog for cheaper than that you know that right you know what dude and I've seen, I've seen, I, no, 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 hold on. I've seen, I've seen a trailer for a couple movies. I, I have it on very, very good authority that the dogs come back. They, they come back, <laughs> their souls inhabit new dogs. And yeah. well, uh, you have this conversation you know, with Katie. I do not, I do not endorse this conversation. I don't endorse this line of thinking. It is what it is. This is just, this is just the way things have to be. I don't. I don't know how else. I, I get don't know, it. I don't know how else I can deal with it. Uh, I, I get it. I will have that conversation. Um, I will also have the conversation with Narek 
because it is a travesty that you haven't mentioned this in any way, shape, or form to us. Probably because <laughs> of the shit we were going to give you. I, I like to think I didn't mention it because I, I've trained myself to suffer in silence. Bullshit. Okay? <laughs> bullshit. You and I both know that's bullshit. 